welcome to a bonus episode of the Franchise Festival podcast. As listeners may be aware, our Resident Evil 6 Part 2 episode was delayed from May 2022 to June 2022, so I thought it might be nice to fill in the gap with some outtakes that I've collected over the course of the season. This has the normal disclaimer that the audio quality here might not be up to our typical standards, but uh, if you want to see some of the stuff that hit the cutting room floor, you've got it right here. First up, we have a couple clips from our Code Veronica episode, featuring special guest Kami Jace, in which we talk about bandersnatches and drones. If memory serves, they are a version of tyrants? It does look that way, because they, uh, like, tyrants kind of have this weird kind of pulsating motion that they right. do when they show up, and bandersnatches have that, but much quicker. It almost seems like they're, like, leftovers of a tyrant or something exactly like that. yeah they're like they're kind of a failed mass market tyrant mm-hmm. anyway thankfully they never turn up again they're Except also pretty easy to do. avoid outside of the ones that the game forces you to kill i don't think i killed a single one yeah even in the battle mode um they're not they're not a huge threat thank goodness mm-hmm. they can grab you and lift you up that's their most dangerous move um, and I was pretty wounded by that, but as long as uh, as long as they don't grab you, you're pretty much sitting pretty. Yeah, there's a point in the game where you're moving between three large areas, and it likes to throw bandersnatches at you in the connecting paths between those three areas. Yeah, but as long as you they they've got a long recovery time from their attacks, it seemed to me. So as long as you were running at some sort of angle at them, other than just a straight line they'd usually miss that attack, and then you could get by them. Yeah, I found them easier to deal with than hunters. Just uh, just as kind of an interesting matter of, I don't know, like, uh, current affairs, so to speak, I find it interesting that drones pop up in this game, which was made in the late 90s, mm-hmm. because drones would not become a fixture, broadly speaking, of the cultural landscape until the United States war on terror of the 2000s and 2010s. Yeah, so this Resident is kind of an uncharacteristically early iteration of the concept. Resident Evil seems to do this thing where they're um, kind of like what uh, uh, um, Hideo Kojima says that yep. he tries to do, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like a guess into the future about what's going to be like the biggest deal of yeah. all time. Um, and they do a pretty good job of like guessing technology and, you know, using that. Um, they seem a little bit more behind with, um, their recent video games, but I think we've come so far in society and technology that they're just like, no, we're fine. We, let's just <laughs> right. make the monsters now. Yeah. We, we, we've got enough uh, material to work with here. <laughs> How about the sweepers, Spencer? Sorry, I was distracted a little bit well when he mentioned hideo kojima trying to predict the future of warfare i i, I just i pictured Not him watching one of those uh well because like me, there's metal gears they're just basically like giant robot t-rexes so i pictured <laughs> kojima oh. watching like like a monster truck rally where they bring out that robo t-rex <laughs> that like eats cars and him just being like Oh yeah, military's making some of those. They're gonna shoot nukes out of them. Yeah, he's that kind of person, honestly. He really Truckosaurus. <laughs> yeah. In our next couple of clips, Hamilton and I discuss the evolving boss design of the Resident Evil series and the Leechman enemy of Resident Evil Zero. 
I think overall, like, mechanically, the bosses in this are pretty fun, even if mm-hmm. lore-wise they leave a bit to be desired. Like, Resident Evil games historically don't have very good boss fights, and I think the ones in this are about as good as they'd get in traditional Resident Evil. They're alright. I would say, in my personal opinion, like, after... Honestly, Resident Evil 4 and after, they really kind of understand just how interesting they can make monsters. I agree, again, yeah. I started my Resident Evil journey really... I mean, I played Resident Evil 2. I never played Resident Evil 3. Didn't play RE0. I played a little bit of RE Remake. Honestly, I would say like half of Resident Evil 4 and beyond is when I really started to fall in love with the series. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. that's when they like really picked up their pace with just like, dude, these monsters look freaking cool. <laughs> I was um, the opposite, actually. I, I was uh, really into the early entries of the series. And when they went more into um, like the post-zombie era, mm-hmm. uh, I I lost a bit of interest. I was more interested in the earlier ones. But replaying them, I find that my opinion has changed a bit. Uh, I think on balance, the monsters do get a bit cooler as the series goes on, even if uh, some of the mechanics I start to fall out of love with in later entries. I think the mechanics aren't that great because there's really no good way for a tiny human to fight giant monsters sometimes. <laughs> but I'm also yeah, like, a, this isn't Monster yeah. Hunter. But I'm also a sucker for giant kaiju monsters. Me too, man. So the bigger they are, the more I'm just like, I don't care how fighting them sucks. Like, this thing is so cool. Yeah, and they do get bigger as the series goes on, too. We'll get some really really cool, some, like, mega monsters later on. Mm Mm-hmm. As far as the mechanics of the mimicry Marcuses, they have uh, a long range as opposed to uh, standard zombies, they can kind of fling an arm made of leeches at you uh, mm-hmm. pretty far across the room. You usually encounter them in tight corridors, too. Mm-hmm. They're mechanically a lot like the Bandersnatches from Code Veronica. Yeah, like, the, they're annoying because... Yes, very annoying. So when you attack them, usually what happens is you blow off pieces of their body, which usually starts with their head, and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, I win. No. Then, like, the rest of the body starts fighting you, and then you blow off, like, another part as you're just doing damage. Right. And the problem is they have, like, this, like, extending arm attack, mm-hmm. which is a lot of freaking damage. Or at least it, it does, did to yeah. me. These guys killed me a bunch of times. Yeah, even on easy mode, they deal a lot of damage. They will get you to critical, to danger super fast. Yeah, um, and bullets don't crappy. hurt them that much. Like, yeah. uh, the fire is their main weakness, so I always kept, uh, mm-hmm. like, fire grenades with me uh, for the grenade launcher, and also the, um, like, handheld fire grenades. Yeah. Uh, I split those up between my characters, so anytime I would encounter a leechman or a mimicry Marcus, I would have fire at hand. That's funny. I never even tried fire. I usually... Uh, That's sw- the trick. I usually switch to um, Billy, and I use the shotgun. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, they, they go down in a like a comparative heartbeat with, uh, they take like two fire grenades. Do they? It takes a bit yep. more with a shotgun. Oh, but, yeah. And they explode yeah. if you kill them with a standard weapon. Yeah. But which, if you kill them with fire, they don't explode. Which actually hurts your characters. Mm-hmm. I can't, yeah, they're I, pretty awful. I can't count how many times that, like, I would attack one and then just be like, because you don't, it's not obvious when they're completely defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. you're gonna find yourself just sitting there and just being like, "Oh, are they dead?" 
and then both you and your AI character are going to get close to them, and they just freaking explode, <laughs> and bam, automatically you're both in danger, and I'm like, you've got to yeah. be kidding me. Next, we get to hear an odd off-the-wall theory that Spencer had about the connections between Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 7. Spencer, you had kind of a, uh, a, a secret fan theory on this, right? About the, the timeline placement of Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 7, the game oh. that stars Ethan Winters. Yeah, uh, that this took place, that 5 takes place after uh, 7. Uh-huh. Uh, hmm. Chronologically, because this would be after Chris, because Chris is in the, oh, I get it mixed up, BSAA versus Blue Umbrella. Chris is in Blue Umbrella mm-hmm. in 7. But BSAA exists in 7, right? Because they show up when, they, they show up in, in seven, 8. Yes. They mm-hmm. show up at the end of 8. Okay. Like, no spoilers, but they do show up at the end of 8. Okay. But yeah, if 5 takes place after 7, hmm. then Ethan could have been involved with Tricell in Africa. Uh-huh. Because hmm. the mold that you encounter in 7 is not related to Progenitor. It's a whole True. separate thing. Yeah, hmm. it's from Europe. Yeah. Uh, there is sadly no Mia W in the There's Umbrella not. employee list. That would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the only logical conclusion. There can't be another Ethan W. in the world, right? Yeah, it's impossible. Right. Yeah. No, there's only one. It just follows. Yeah. People don't just have the same initials. No. Right. Or this, that would be name. madness. How could you right. keep humans straight? Exactly. <laughs> the next outtake is from our Zombies episode, where we discuss zombie movies and media more generally, with special guest Carly. Here, we discuss some of the odd zombie types that appeared in Resident Evil 5. They're just like, I did not get my mac and cheese today. I am upset. (laughs) I am upset, yeah. You'll do. Not having having it. Not having it today. No, no. Chicken nuggets? Mm. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Brains are kind of like mac and cheese now that I think about it. Right? Man, I wasn't going (laughs) to say it, but I was thinking it. Yeah, everyone was thinking it. (laughs) Delicious and scrambled. cheese on there. Yeah, cheese on there. You know, mix it up. That's all they want. I haven't yeah. encountered a lot of foods that aren't improved with cheese, you know? I, I, right. I could eat just about anything if it had some cheese on it, I think. It's probably why the zombie is so angry, because they don't have any seasoning. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Everything just tastes bland. It's just, like, gross. And, like, you have the chef zombies, and they're just like, I can't make this work, because they have to have that <laughs> accent for some reason. <laughs> they're all Italian? <laughs> all of them are Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of that zombie from um what was that Resident Evil 5 where it's like the big like machine gun zombie and he's got like a cigar in his mouth. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Cigar. <laughs> yeah, like z- zombies who engage in like weird human behavior are always right up my alley. <laughs> right, like you're smoking a cigar right now, baller. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like seeing a pet with like a a funny hat. Exactly. Right, exactly. It's just like, <laughs> like oh, I think it's a people. It's like yeah, <laughs> It's like, oh, zombie, you have no lungs to inhale this, but it's working somehow. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's if so it's cute. beautiful, if you think unholy abomination. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Already being dead is kind of the best time to be smoking. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you could muster that's the lung we... strength, that cigar is is where it's at. They literally no, conquered no, cancer. All... <laughs> <laughs> that's real Yep, all all smoking ads now can feature zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you're welcome. Just like advertising. Don't like cancer? Be dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. See, it's a million dollar. That would have been mm-hmm. umbrella would have had so many more people sign up. 
Yeah, like, they should have just focused on normal vices and not right. You wild will super science vices. You will kill for our products. No, really. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, really. Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> no, actually. No, actually. It's like they keep saying no, actually, and they're just like, I love your taglines. Like we're. We're actually serious. No, no, no. It's like, you it's, guys, yeah. like, we, we mean this. <laughs> Those investors are just seeing the dollar signs, you know? They, right. They got no oh, bottom. Yeah. yeah. There are people <laughs> dying out there from our stuff, and they're just like, these guys are the oh, best. <laughs> In our final series of clips, Hamilton and I discuss Resident Evil 6, and then have a pretty lengthy diversion on the subject of Metroid Prime 2. This has some weird effects that are similar to Resident Evil 2, where if you play uh, the, the same sort of period of time, and you even get a timeline in the menu that shows the campaigns and the various scenes in them, where they occur on the timeline, so you can, you can see how they intersect and everything. But it, it has some weird effects where the same event will actually occur differently depending on which character you're playing as. So when Leon and Helena meet Chris and Piers in China, the team that you're not playing as always takes an elevator in this research facility where the team that you are playing as always has to take a set of stairs as a detour. Only one of those two scenarios can be true, quote unquote. So there is this odd malleability of reality that happens in these campaigns. You also have an odd bit with the game's introduction, which is Leon and Helena in China. And the way that the scene in, it opens in media rays. It has them, you know, bloodied and battered on the streets of Lanxiang, China. And, uh, it looks pretty grim and hopeless. But when you get to that portion in Leon's campaign, the events actually play out quite differently. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's an odd thing for a game to retcon its own opening. That is very unusual. Did I notice that before? It it it's close. It's similar. the The events play out similarly, but uh, for example, Leon is defending Helena, who is seemingly mortally wounded in that prologue sequence. But when you get there in the game, Leon and Helena are both just moving around, shooting at zombies. They, uh, Helena is not mortally wounded when you actually get there in, in the course of the main game. I didn't even think about that when I got through it. You know, it's such a long game that by the time you get there in the game, unless you made a beeline through Leon's story, you've probably forgotten the details of that intro. Yeah, I completely did. I completely forgot all about it. That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's like Metal Gear-itis. Like, again. It is. If you want to play the Resident Evil, uh, the Metal Gear series and... I highly recommend it. I freaking love it. But I will be the first to say that it confused the crap out of me, and I had to read up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those problems, and Final Fantasy has gone into this direction a little bit in more recent entries, I think, especially Final Fantasy XV, mm-hmm. where supplementary material becomes critical to understanding the events of the story. Uh, that's a real storytelling crutch in my opinion i i'm really not fond of a story that doesn't make sense without reading supplementary material or that you have to like buy dlc to like understand Mm -hmm. the rest of the story yeah dragon age dragon age inquisition was like that yeah the story didn't have an ending unless you bought dlc for it it's like i loathe i loathe that give me the game Mm -hmm. that i paid 70 bucks for whatever games were back in the day 50 right exactly yeah like i I just want a complete story for goodness sake i I just or at least give me a functional game you know I was going to say I digress, but you know what? No, I'm going to 
gonna die on this hill here. Yeah, get your soapbox out here. Like, give me enough of the game where I can understand enough of the story, mm-hmm. where at the end of it, I'm satisfied. Supplementary material should be supplementary. It adds on exactly. to what's already given. Like, that's literally like coming out with a book. And the book is supposed to be a condensed story. It, it, mm-hmm. Well, it tells your story. Like, this book is the only one of its series. Read it. You're supposed to enjoy it and understand what it says. Right. It's like reading it, and then it's not finished. And it's like, oh, by the way, there's three other, like, mini books um, yeah. that'll come out later. Oh, you have to buy those now. Yeah, it does sound like you're describing Final Fantasy XV here. <laughs> yeah. No, literally, that's like Final Fantasy. And I'm just like, are you actually serious with me? I, I do have mixed opinions on it uh, because my knee-jerk reaction is to dislike it. Like, I want I want a single unified piece of fiction that makes sense with me opening it on page one and ending it on page 300 or what have you. Or, you know, playing through a game or, or that sort of thing without DLC or uh, like a, a tie-in movie or anything. And yet. In the back of my mind, I think of, like, older fiction, right? And Shakespeare plays did not exist in a vacuum. You know, uh, Shakespeare, especially his history plays, were dependent on people who went to see the play knowing a bunch of other supplementary information about it. Or uh, if you go to even as far back as something like the Iliad and the Odyssey, there are portions of those stories, and of course... Those were written down circa 2,500 years ago, but the stories are much earlier than that. And there are portions of those stories that aren't filled in, and you'll end up wondering what's going on with these characters. Where do they go off to? And it's because there were other stories that audiences were supposed to be familiar with. So they would see this story as a prelude to another story they already knew about. So there's a really long history of it. It's, It's nothing new. But that also doesn't make it good, necessarily. Because that's my problem as well. Because, again, I don't mind. Then, like, make it a series. Like, that's why they Mm -hmm. have, like, trilogies now. And, again, if I know something's a trilogy, quadrilogy, whatever it's going to be, I'm like, I'm fine with that. Then I know Mm -hmm. I need to buy these multiple things to understand. It gets a little annoying when I buy something with the understanding that I I should be able to follow enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't tell me to read anything else beforehand. And I go through it and I'm just like, I have no understanding what anything, I don't know what's happening. That's what happened with me and my buddy when I bringing it back to RE6 when yeah. I first played this game, which is one reason why neither of us really enjoyed it. Besides the action scenes, which, which wasn't enough at the time to keep us engaged. No, there's a million action games, you know, that that's not what this is going to impress on people. Did I tell you that I started playing Metroid Prime 2? I thought it said Metroid 2 on the uh, podcast. I didn't see it Metroid Prime 2. Oh, I probably did write Metroid 2. I meant Metroid Prime 2. <laughs> oh. No, you said no, you said uh, Metroid Prime 2. I just read it wrong. Oh? Well, what do you think about it? I think the Metroid Prime games are the only SD games that look about as good in HD as they do mm-hmm. back on old TVs. Mm-hmm. Like, the art design on those is on point. But um, I, I'm having a problem with the sensor bar. Where Mm. it sometimes thinks it's like overly sensitive. And when I'll point to the right, it'll all of a sudden snap back to the left. Hmm. It's pretty obnoxious. It makes playing Metroid Prime pretty tough. Oh, no. Yeah, but the game itself is really good. It's, it's, okay. It is really good on the whole. It's my least favorite of the trilogy. Oh, but okay. On a whole, I think it's really good. 
Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, even if it's less good than the other two, it's still better than, like, 90% of other first-person games. Exactly. That's kind of where I was going with it. Like, I don't dislike it by any means. In fact, I really much enjoyed it. But if I had to rate, I would say Metro Prime 1 first. Mm-hmm. I would say Metro Prime 3 second. And then Prime 2 third. In my That's opinion. interesting. Okay. I have some really big structural problems with the original Metroid Prime. I I know I'm the odd man out on this because like Mm -hmm. the gameplay is perfect, but there is, it suffers from that, that problem that every first party GameCube game had Mm -hmm. where you get about two thirds of the way through. And then all of a sudden you have to go on like a scavenger hunt back through areas that you were already in. Yeah. And I have a real problem with that. It, I've never finished, um, thousand year door because of that. I only finished Wind Waker when the HD version came out because they made that less onerous. Mm-hmm. And I've never finished Metroid Prime because of that. What about uh, Super Metroid? Because it has that. Because you do have to. Is it similar in Super Metroid? Oh yeah. It you might have to just go be because the game itself is so short. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where, like, if a game is forty, I mean, that's a bad example. But like, if a game <laughs> is twenty hours long and the last five hours are the backtrack. As opposed to if a game is five hours long and the last hour is the backtrack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it feels less bad to me. It is quicker, I think, to get back. There is a lot of backtracking in Super Metroid because once you collect the new MacGuffin from, like, a new area, then you have to, like, backtrack to go to... You have to go back to, like, another level that you went to before oh, okay. to access a new area there by using the new MacGuffin. Oh, and, yeah, that's just built into the game. Yeah, that's built into the game. They do that constantly. And Metroid Prime, I don't know. That's interesting. I Now I need to replay it because I felt like I had to kind of do the same thing, kind of go back and um, revisit areas that I've been. But Yeah, yeah that is like something that you away. do throughout it. That that doesn't bother me, truth be told, because that's just kind of the standard like Metroidvania format. That's mm-hmm. like That's the fun of it, I feel like, is that there was a door that you were like, how do I get to that? And then you can get to it. Mm-hmm. The quirk with Metroid Prime is that unlike, uh, well, very much like Wind Waker, you get to, um, you get about two thirds of the way through and there are these statues that like you need to activate something for each of them. It's like a mm-hmm. statue garden. And then you need to go all back around to the areas that you were in to find these little like activation stones or something. Oh, I know what you're talking about. For the... To get to, like, the last area. Yep. That's a real pet peeve of mine, and it pops uh-huh. up in every GameCube Nintendo game. It's because they... they Nintendo was really bad at adapting to the GameCube era. Mm-hmm. So every Nintendo game at the time, because they were hemorrhaging money, um, mm-hmm. they, they cut, like, they cut corners on all of their games at the time and just filled in the cut portions with needing to go back to earlier areas to find some item. Yeah. <laughs> nope, you brought that back. I do remember that part. I think everybody um, blocks it out about Metroid Prime because the rest of it's so good. Well, also, <laughs> I had a strategy guide. <laughs> oh, that'll help. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I should have checked an online thing. I couldn't find any of the stuff. I only found like two. Yeah, because I actually, ooh, back in the day, I bought the uh, the paper strategy guide because nice. I loved the artwork and I loved all of this and the that. But that literally led me straight to it. So okay. I didn't have to... If I had to do a scavenger hunt and, like, comb through the entire level to find, like, the ending MacGuffin, mm-hmm. I probably would have been just as annoyed. I'd be like, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and 
bless them. Like, I know everybody loves that second Paper Mario game, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, you get to that part where you got to find everything. And I'm like, well, I'd rather be playing Paper Mario 64 or Origami King. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Than not this game. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed these outtakes, and be sure to let us know if you have any feedback by emailing us at FranchiseFestival at gmail.com or connecting to us via our Patreon or on Twitter at Franchise underscore Fest. As ever, thank you for listening, folks. Goodbye. (laughs) 